Welcome to the 289th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Today, I have a special guest, Chris Wark. He is the author of Chris Beat Cancer and Beat Cancer Daily. He has a wonderful website um, that uh, offers a coaching service that basically works the lifestyle changes that he undertook to beat cancer. Chris was diagnosed with adenocarcinoma of the colon at age 26, which is obviously an extremely young age to have a cancer diagnosis, even if you had a family history, but Chris had no family history of of colon cancer. He elected to forego uh, the standard chemotherapy and radiation that is traditionally offered uh, to patients with that stage of cancer and opted for lifestyle changes. And so this episode, we're going to discuss some of the things that he did and his motivation for doing it and how he supports other people in their path. This is by no means my recommendation for the treatment of cancer. Um, I, I think that the main reason for this podcast and the main reason that Chris, and he will say so himself, he is not advocating people do one way of therapy or another, but one doesn't have to be a victim if they're diagnosed with cancer. There are things that you can do or one can do and not necessarily just be the person who receives a therapy and has no input. So I'll encourage you to listen to what he has to say and take the parts that help and uh, apply them to your own life, whether it's cancer or another lifestyle disease. I think that um, he gives some really good words of wisdom. We talk about um, diet, lifestyle, nutrition, vitamin C, um, and overall mental health and one's perception of their illness and Again, the purpose that we all have in life or the purpose for living or the purpose to choosing, uh, choosing one thing over another. So I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, and certainly if you have any questions, uh, you can go onto Chris's website. He's more than happy to field any emails and uh, we'll leave links to his website. Again, check out his book. If you have questions for me, jamie at drdelaney.com. It's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. Um, as for my training schedule, uh, I'm back on training for the 50-mile race uh, in Huntsville, Texas. So hope that goes good. It's uh, supposed to kick off on February 13th, so still training for that and probably peak this week in mileage and then start to taper off a bit. Otherwise, I'm um, fully recovered from my COVID diagnosis and um continue to take some vitamin C and vitamin D. I'm actually going to check my vitamin D levels after having supplements. So I supplemented for a month. Uh, before that, I didn't take any vitamin C or D supplements. So I'll share some of those uh, readings with you in the future. But uh, everything's a, a go here. So I'm back in action and uh, looking forward to uh, doing several races up uh, this spring. The next one will be, again, at Treasure Coast in March. Uh, for, I think it's the first week in March. We're looking for anybody that'd like to join us on that one. Uh, that's going to be a real live marathon, so that's that's good. Things are starting to open up. And um, then out um, 
West for a 50K at uh, Zion. Gretchen's really helping today. In, uh, so we're going to do that 50K in April. So Gretchen's birthday is tomorrow, so I guess she's wanting everybody to sing her happy birthday and wish her happy birthday. I'm not sure, but she certainly fired up this cool evening in Florida. We're getting down to the 40s tonight. So, uh, we're getting a little taste of winter for a couple days. So maybe that's why she's so perky. I don't know. But anyway, uh, we'll go on to the interview with Chris. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll, t I'll talk to you after the interview. Welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Chris, you're the author of two books, uh, Chris Beat Cancer, Chris... Uh, or beat cancer daily, and um, you have a very interesting story. We think that colon cancer is something that affects old people or older people, and it comes from years of eating bacon, and you know, it, things just happen and progress. But you had a much different uh, story. You were, you know, the head of your game. Graduated from college. Everything's supposed to be going well, and. Um, all of a sudden you have this diagnosis uh, and I, and I've got to salute you right up front. You know, you're brave for taking on, you know, um, just not falling in line in traditional therapies and going down, down that ramp. So maybe just a quick little synopsis of um, graduated from college. And you, you mentioned that, you know, you were eating some fast food on the, on the, on the young person's life, bulletproof, right. And then things started to go awry. Yeah, I was eating <laughs> I was eating what I call the bulletproof diet, which is uh anything you want because you think you're invincible. <laughs> and uh which is how most young people eat unless they're extremely conscious about their weight or their health and which of course more people are now uh than when I was in my 20s. But um yeah, I was eating the standard American fare, uh tons of fast food, junk food, processed food meat and dairy at every meal, and uh, was diagnosed with colon cancer at age 26, had surgery. Um, after surgery, I opted out of chemotherapy, and I didn't have a good reason to opt out. Uh, all I had was my instincts and my intuition telling me uh, that this was not the best road for me to go down. And because I had seen the effects of chemotherapy on people, right, on other humans, and I instinctively thought, you know, I don't understand how I could poison my way back to health. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And I, and I was informed enough to know that we haven't won the war on cancer, you know, cancer seems to be getting worse and worse. And so... Um, yeah, I made a decision not to do chemotherapy. And I, I had, my wife and I, had, I prayed about it. And I said, God, you know, is, if there's another way, just show me. And I ended up getting a book that was written by a man who had had colon cancer, oh, I guess about 30 years before me, and uh, healed it with a raw plant-based diet. And he was still alive. In fact, he's still alive today, <laughs> as far as I know. And uh and his story was so inspirational. His name is George Malcolmus. His story inspired me and, and gave me just that tiny little glimmer of hope and, uh, and courage and uh, to step out 
and change my life. And I was excited by this idea. And it was really was a light bulb to me that the body creates cancer and the body can heal it. And I was excited about this idea that nutrition can empower your body with the raw materials that it needs to heal. And many of us are deprived of these essential nutrients that are found in plant food because we're just not eating fruits and vegetables. We're eating tons of processed food, man-made food, junk food, and animal food. And so I, when I, as I started to dig and, and learn this information, uh, I got really excited about changing my life because I had not really been given much hope by the medical community. I, I was told by an oncologist, I had a 60% chance of living five years with treatment. And you know, that, it's, it's not very encouraging. Not very encouraging at 26. No, I mean, it's, it's not encouraging at 66, but let alone 26. Um, yeah. And, and hey, to your point, at 66, you're thinking, okay, well, I could make it to 70. I've had a pretty good life and okay. But I was 26. So I'm like, this isn't good enough. Like may, maybe making it to 30 is, I like, I'm not, that's not good enough. And so I thought there's got to be something better for me. I got to figure out what it is. So um, I, yeah, I, I overnight converted to a plant-based diet. In the beginning, it was 100% raw. And then uh, eventually it sort of, I refined it to about 80% raw fruits and vegetables, 20% cooked food. And I found a support system. I found a naturopathic doctor who was my, my first real uh, professional advocate. And from there, I found a medical doctor who was an integrative uh, career oncologist who had sort of uh, <laughs> had sort of drifted away from conventional oncology. He was in his seventies, and he had spent a lifetime, you know, following orders. He'd been spent a lifetime doing surgeries, uh, administering chemotherapy infusions, uh, and had seen all of his, you know, the vast majority of his patients die. And so he had become very interested uh, in uh, approaching cancer in a different way, in a holistic way. And he was really interested in the immune system, which we know immunotherapy, that's just the big rage, right? Well, he was researching and, and uh, looking for non-toxic compounds that would stimulate the immune system, that would help the body heal, as opposed to killing the cancer cells. It's like, oh, how can we empower the body to heal? And he, he uh, was administering IV vitamin C in his clinic and some other treatments like that. And so anyway, he was a, a, an incredible blessing in my life. And, uh, and so I just slowly cobbled together this, you know, a team of professionals that uh, I relied on heavily to, to help guide me through that time. But I took it's more importantly, I took massive action to change my life mm -hmm. because I really believe that and what I've learned is that healing happens at home. It doesn't happen at the doctor's office. It doesn't happen in the hospital. It really happens at home. And so the treatments and therapies you can get from medical professionals can be extremely helpful, life-saving. But what you're doing in terms of chronic disease, what you're doing at home really can make the difference between survival and death when it comes to cancer, heart disease, diabetes, you know, the long list of chronic Western diseases, uh, we have the power uh, to 
affect our future with our daily choices. So, of course, I didn't know any of this stuff, okay? My journey started in December 2003, and I started learning these things in January 2004. So it's now been 17 years since my cancer diagnosis. And that's 17 years of living through it and getting well and, and reading and researching and becoming obsessed really with the science side of it. Because in the beginning, I didn't have any science. I didn't, you know, all I had was some testimonials and, and, a, and a small support system of people that were encouraging me. And since that time, I mean, I have lost count of thousands of studies that I've read on the anti-cancer power of nutrition. I mean, it really is remarkable and not just anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, anti-diabetes, anti-lupus, anti-MS, anti-inflammation, right? Autoimmune disease, inflammatory disease. Like it really is so wonderful and miraculous what, what food can do for your body. But you have to stop eating the food that's hurting you. Well, you said a lot of wonderful things. Just a couple early questions. Um, did they tell you the pathology? Was this an adenocarcinoma, a standard yes. colon, adenocarcinoma? And did they give you a stage? Yeah, stage 3C. 3C. So, I mean, that's a really scary diagnosis. Most people get whisked right off to chemotherapy and or radiation. And like you said, that's, you know, they gave you, that was actually probably a pretty they probably gave you a better percentage than they would somebody else just because of your age, thinking that, you know, nobody could spit out the traditional chemotherapy results for, for something along that line. The other thing yeah, I was, Oh, well, I'll just say this. Cause you reminded me of something you said earlier, which is uh, people do tend to think of colon cancer as an old people's disease, but the, and it traditionally has been, but uh, colon cancer is one of the fastest growing segments of cancer in young adults. Yeah, so now so young adult colon cancer is on the rise year after year. I was on the first wave, basically in the first wave because I am a Gen X fella, mm -hmm. and Gen X was the first fast food generation. I was going to ask you that. So, did you grow up eating a lot of dinners that were fast food on the road? I mean, was that something along that line? Um, you know, to to my mom's credit, uh, she did make dinner. I'd say pretty much every night, mm -hmm. you know, as a kid, she made like real food dinner, um, American dinner, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and so it, it wasn't as bad as some kids that was like every meal is fast food meal. Um, and my mom was health conscious, but at the same, at the same token, like my first birthday was at a McDonald's, you know, so we went to McDonald's all the time. Once I became a teenager, she was more strict in my diet when I was little and she was actually into healthy, healthy food. And, you know, I was buying like the peanut butter you had to stir, right. Instead <laughs> yeah. of like the Jif peanut butter or Peter Pan yes. that I wanted, like she bought the kind of, it was the crunchy because, <laughs> you know, at that time the crunchy peanut butter, it's crunchy. So it must be healthier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, so she, and she always had like sprouts in the fridge and, uh, wheat germ in the fridge. Like, you know, she always had like sort of healthy kind of stuff, healthier stuff. But, um, you know, once I, once I became junior high, uh, you know, middle school, teenage years, I mean, she really was not 
force feeding me anything healthy. She, she, you know, she let me eat what I wanted. What I wanted to eat was just the junkiest stuff I could get, right? Burgers and pizza and, uh, you know, whatever. So that's, yeah, that, that was my sort of nutritional upbringing. She did a great job when I was little and then you know, I just got too stubborn. <laughs> no, but but I find that a lot when I look at dietary histories, and it's funny because I typically see, I, I typically see the moms in my practice, and I and you know, and when they're trying to go plant based because of their lifestyle diseases, and so I talk about, so what did you cook when your kids were little? And, you know, they start to think and you, and you have the exact same answer. Babies, they're, everybody's very conscious of getting all the colors for the baby food. You know, that's that's very important. But then life happens. And as depending on when you grow up, uh, TV dinners, healthy choice, uh, hamburger helper, all those came in, you know, Colonel KFC, KFC, the whole nine yards. And that starts becoming more of why fight it? Let's just do mac and cheese and a hot dog. And or let's just do, you know, takeout night or whatever. So that's pretty. And it, and it seems as though, you know, that I would say 70s, 70s, 80s is when people started to say diverge and less real cooking, more more prepared foods, even when they made people made dinner, it was, you know, what's wrong with hamburger helper? You put your own hamburger in, it's a noodle. Everybody has a noodle. So what's, what could go wrong, you know? And uh, those, those kind of things. So it, that's very, uh, very interesting. Um, well, the t- and something else happened too. I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the TV dinners, uh, m- food segment expanded uh, in a huge way in the eighties. And so did fast food. I mean, Fast food was, I mean, the the 80s were the boom of fast food expansion, right? You think about Taco Bell, Arby's, KFC, McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, you know, all the pizza chains. I mean, it just every corner, right? There's a new fast food place popping up uh, in the the 80s and through the 90s, of course. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we just developed different habits, which was eating commercially prepared food instead of fresh food. And, and again, you know, what do you take back that, well, nobody would let them make that food if it was unhealthy. You know what I mean? We had, there was also a traditional respect and don't question the, you know, the, the powers that be would not let unhealthy food come into uh, consumers. I mean, everybody thought that nobody was really, a, you know, there wasn't a question everything that we question now, where does this come from? And what is this, you know, so I think that's, that that's all part of that lifestyle as far as, well, nobody, you know, and even then I, even today, it's like, well, it's so hard to believe that. Why would they let that on the market if it wasn't healthier? It caused yeah. cancer. What do you mean the cans are lined with BPA? You know, what do you mean still in baby bottles or in IV bags? You know, what, why? Yeah. Uh, and no one was thinking, I don't think anyone was asking those questions, right? They no. were, it's a cheeseburger. Like, it's fine. Like, as long as it's not contaminated with some dangerous bacteria, you're keeping it frozen, right? They're not thinking about food additives at all. They're not thinking about preservatives. Like, no. they're not thinking about BPA, right? And and they're certainly not thinking about, uh, well, you know, the fat conversations came in sort of late eighties, early nineties about eating less fat, less saturated fat and things. But, but then all the fast food, you know, and processed food companies just started selling low fat items, which were just as 
terrible as the, you know, the previous full fat items. You, know? no, you just change the percentage, you add sugar, but it, it, you change the percentage. So everything, uh, it, you know, the ratio changes that. And that you substitute the fat. You have a, a yeah. You substitute more. like hydrogenated oils. Or, or you just add more sugar. So you change the percentage. So fat becomes less just because you add more simple sugars and some corn syrup uh, yeah. and high fructose corn syrup. You know, if you look at a box of Ritz crackers from 1970 to versus 1990, and you look at the, the low fat variety, only the sugar content really, you know, so they just, it's just, a, it's a math thing. Um, that's, that's sneaky. You know, so yeah, because, and so then consequently, there's a higher caloric intake with people. You know, um, if, again, if you have anything breaded, it's already breaded and fried at the, at the factory or Cisco or wherever it came from. And then it comes into Fridays or whoever's and it's deep fried again. So it's double fried, double battered, double, fr you know, I mean, it's, it's just, no one can keep up with it. I liked what you said that healing happens at home and especially, you know, uh, you, you might say changing your nutrition, but when you say healing and people think about colon cancer or cancer in general, there's such a stigmata with, you know, it happened to you. You know, you're, you were 26 years old, you know, everybody else eats McDonald's. It just happened to you. Your genes were bad. Um, you're, you're, you know, it just, you got a bad, you got a bad set of cards and now um, sit back and we'll try to fix it. And I think that's more the message that comes from the community is, so you have cancer, you go to the doctor, please make this go away. And you're looking, you know, so you're frozen and, you know, you're frozen with fear. Most people, I'm not saying that you were, and, you know, just help me fix this because I don't know why it necessarily happened. So I think that, you know, looking, it's empowering to do what you did. You know, fear is, uh, is a paralyzing factor. It's a paralyzing force. And when you're in a state of fear, worry, anxiety and doubt, um, you, it's hard to make a good decision um, because those, those emotions are so powerful. They, your body's in a state of stress. And when you're in a state of stress, you've got adrenaline and cortisol pumping and those hormones interfere with your brain function. You can't make logical, rational, sound decisions when you're in a state of fear and panic. And as we've seen in 2020, um, but it's just, this, this is, you know, 2020 is kind of an interesting conversation here because to me, like 2020 was like, oh, you're all scared. Guess what? This is how cancer patients deal with every day. This is every day in the life of a cancer patient, patient learning how to deal with fear. And so like, there was no point in the entire year of 2020 that I was afraid because I, I, I fear is a choice, right? So, but I had to learn, learn how to deal with fear and the fear of dying and the fear of recurrence and the fear of suffering, all those things, and just give it to God and just say, I trust you. You know, I'm not going to be afraid. And one of the big revelations I had was, and, and that I talk about in my books is that you're not a victim of disease. The, the medical industry often uh, deliberately or inadvertently victimizes patients. And what I mean by that is, as an example, a, can a person gets a cancer diagnosis, they go see the oncologist, they say, how did I get cancer? Like, why did this happen to me? And the answer they get is invariably, as you, were, you sort of alluded to, well, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what caused your cancer, but it was probably 
genetics or maybe bad luck, bad luck or bad genes. And what that does, what they're saying, like the, 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 the subliminal message is nothing you did contributed to your condition, your disease. And therefore, nothing you can do will help you, right? Your only option here is to show up for treatment. Like, we have some treatments for you. This is your only option. And you go home and eat whatever you want. No, don't get on the internet. You don't need to change your diet, right? Don't take supplements. Uh, You just need to, when we finish here, go to the desk and make an appointment to come back and get your port, start chemo, start radiation, surgery, or whatever. And uh, I I think it's malpractice because there's reams of evidence. There are so many studies published, peer-reviewed studies in in the best journals in the world, the highest respected journals in the world on the anti cancer values of nutrition in certain foods. And it's plant foods, it's vegetables, it's fruit, and uh, exercise and stress reduction. Th- these things have been studied in such great depth. And, but they're just not, they're not taught in med school. Doctors are too busy to learn them. And, um, and a lot of doctors are just closed off and they don't want to learn. They don't want to know. And that, that's, you know, frustrating. And that's why I, I just think you're so terrific uh, for what you've done with your practice. Um, but the patient leaves there and they're, they are a powerless victim, right? They, they have no power. They just go home and, and cross their fingers and say their prayers and hope for the best. And my message is, is a very different one, which is you've got to educate yourself. You need to understand the causes of your disease. And when you understand the causes, you'll realize that your choices have a huge part to play in your life. And that you may have made some choices, not to blame you, not to make you feel bad about yourself. There's no value in that. Uh, but to say, to take a step back, look at your life and say, okay, what part did I play in my situation? And what can I do differently to help myself out of it? And the empowering part of that is there's so much you can do to help yourself. There's so much you can do to drop your risk of death, to drop your risk of a recurrence if you're in remission, to drop your risk of ever getting cancer. And it's all your diet and lifestyle choices. So a study that uh, there's a number of studies along these lines, but one of them found that researchers estimated that up to 90% of cancers are caused by three factors, diet, lifestyle, and environment. Well, diet's pretty obvious. It's the standard American diet, meat, dairy, processed food, tons of sugar and salt and oils. Um, That's a pretty easy one to, to change. Lifestyle factors, most of us know these, smoking, too much alcohol, um, illegal drugs and prescription drugs, uh, they increase your cancer risk. Not every prescription drug, but some do. And they tell you right on the commercial. Uh, And uh, environment's a little tricky though. The environmental factor could be working in a toxic plant, right? Working around toxic fumes and chemicals, soot, dust, smoke, you know, Lots of people work in manufacturing and factories and things. And uh, even hairdressers are exposed to toxic fumes and they have hairdressers have a higher risk of cancer uh, because of their occupation with all of the dyes and fragrances and shampoo, conditioner, you know, bleach, fingernail polish, like all this kind of stuff in salons. 
So that that takes a little investigation to figure out, okay, is there something environmental that also may be a factor? Right? Is, is, there, is there a chemical plant dumping water, you know, pollution into my drinking water like the Aaron Brockovich situation? Um, so, but your diet and lifestyle are completely in your control and the environment is something you got to investigate and it's also in your control to a degree. It may, it may mean making large major changes like moving <laughs> or changing jobs, right? Those are not as easy, but they are doable. Um, but all that to say, these are still things that you have control over, right? So, um, and what I talk about in my book is, and in, in my course is just helping a person who either has cancer or wants to prevent it, help helping them work through and understand all of the cancer causers that are present in their life, helping them identify those things and then remove them and replace them with things that promote health and healing, that prom promote a strong immune system, that increase detoxification, that reduce levels of stress hormones like cortisol. Um, so, and that, that there are literal compounds in food that kill cancer cells directly, right? Garlic is one of the most potent anti-cancer foods known. Onions and leeks are right up there with garlic. The cruciferous vegetables are uh, in the top 10. Broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, onions. Uh, I already said onions. They're not cruciferous. <laughs> For the fact checkers, I know. Bok choy. <laughs> We're okay. We so, uh, but those are, those are just incredible foods. Incredible, wonderful, awesome foods that we need to eat every day. And what I did was I ate... Uh, giant salads every day, twice a day for lunch and dinner. So, and, and it was all the foods I just mentioned, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, onions and mushrooms, uh, lots of spices because spices have unique antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer properties like oregano, turmeric, curry powder, which has turmeric in it, um, cayenne pepper, uh, spices like cinnamon and allspice. So spicing it up, uh, apple cider vinegar, a little olive oil or flax oil. And I, I quickly figured out that this giant salad was the most nutritious anti-cancer meal I could concoct. And, uh, and usually there was some legumes on there. Like I would have sprouted mung beans or sprouted garbanzo beans or whatever. And even non-sprouted legumes are wonderful. So um, uh, avocado, I mean, I, sauerkraut, I would just pile every vegetable, you know, it's every, I need to eat every vegetable. And so, um, so I, I made a very simple strategy, nutritional strategy for myself was to eat a giant cancer fighting salad every day for lunch and dinner. It filled me up. It was delicious. Uh, it, it didn't get old. It did not get monotonous or old and I was determined to live. And so uh, I just didn't, my determination to live was stronger than my um, than my, uh, craving for, you know, a double cheeseburger or whatever. And so, um, so I set about changing my whole life and it started with the food. And then from the food, it moved to, okay, I need to start exercising. We know one of my favorite studies is, um, a study on breast cancer patients where they found that breast cancer patients who, uh, walked, okay. Walking an average of about 30 minutes a day, and, and ate five servings of fruits and vegetables per day, had a 50% decreased risk of recurrence after nine years 
That beats radiation. I mean, that's insane. Beats radiation. Dropping your risk of recurrence <laughs> by 50%, right? Just by committing to, to take care of yourself by walking every day and then eating more fruits and vegetables. I mean, they weren't even vegan. They weren't even walking around like I'm a whole food plant-based eater. They're just, you know, they're eating five servings of fruits and vegetables. We know 10 servings really is optimal. Uh, but so that's such an encouraging study. And it's like, why is this not the first thing that is shown and given to every breast cancer patient, right? Here you go. You're gonna, we're going to give you chemo and all this kind of stuff. But by the way, here's the study you need to know about, right? Like th this would not take a single dollar away from the oncologist to, to let his patient know and that they so could empowering. also, what's that? And it's so empowering. This is what- And it's so empowering. Yeah, and by the way, their, their success rates are gonna increase as a doctor. So, I mean, you're gonna feel good doing that too seeing more of your patients survive and thrive just by showing them what they can do at home to help themselves heal. And so that, that really is my message. It's not, I, I'm often confused or miscategorized as someone who is anti-chemo or tells people not to do chemo or whatever, but I don't. We, we have cancer patients in our community who are doing, you know, every therapy on, under the sun, right? It's alternative therapies, natural therapies, chemotherapy, immunotherapy. We just love them all and support them and encourage them to, don't just put all of your hope in a medical treatment, right? You can do that, but also change your life, take care of yourself in a way that you never have before. And, you know, you can increase your odds of survival. I think, you know, your book is one of the early, early chapters, your determination to live. I think that sometimes um, people don't get their why, um, maybe they get their should or I need to, but they don't get their why. Um, you know, the, the food didn't get boring to you because the food served a purpose and your biggest purpose was to live. And I had a very, yes, thanks for bringing that up. I, I had a very strong reason to live. I was an, I'm an only child, still am. Um, and I, I'd been married for two years. And I couldn't bear the thought of my parents and my wife putting me in the ground. That was such a painful thought to me because I knew how important I was to those three people, right? I'm a pretty big deal to three people, <laughs> like a really big deal. I, I just, I just, oh my gosh, it just hurt. It just was so painful to even imagine that scenario. And so those are the, those are the three people. I was like, I've, I have to live for these three people. And, uh, and my wife got pregnant about three months into my, three, three or four months after my diagnosis, we, start, we decided together to start a family. And she got pregnant right away uh, because she loved me so much. She was willing to start a family with me knowing that I might not survive. I mean, that's how much my wife loves me. And, uh, but she got pregnant right away. And so now all of a sudden I've got a, th a fourth, no, a third reason to live, right? right? Mom, dad, my wife, and then baby on the way. But so every patient really does need to figure out and get clear. And I think this, this also doesn't just apply to cancer. It, I mean, it really applies to any life-threatening disease or condition that, that requires action. And you have to really get clear about what you have to live for and why you want to live. And, and once you, and, and then you need to paste it everywhere, 
right? You need to burn it into your brain. Maybe you need to paint it on the wall of your office, whatever it is, like blow up a giant photo of those people. But when you get really clear on your reasons to live, it, uh, it motivates you. It just keeps you on track. And some cancer patients don't have a strong will to live and they're ready to die. And that's okay too. Uh, I think the worst thing in the world is to uh, coerce or drag some cancer patient through treatment who doesn't want to live. Like they're, they're satisfied with their life, you know, and they're just going through the motions because everybody around them is telling them they have to do it. Like, Oh, you got to do chemo. You don't, no, you don't. You know, Uh, I, I tell this story about, um, there's a, there's a, a viral sort of a viral story that went around um, uh, of a woman who was diagnosed with cancer and she was in her eighties and she decided to just road trip it. She didn't do treatment. She, she road tripped it all over the U S and did a whole, you know, just had all these adventures and her son documented it. They went together and like driving this Norma, you can Google this. And uh, it's just the most wonderful, terrific, lovely story of a woman who spent her last, I think, roughly two years of life uh, road tripping across the U.S. And, uh, and then, you know, went into hospice for a couple of weeks and died peacefully. I mean, that's the way to go. You know, she didn't suffer. She enjoyed her life and it was great. So anyway, having a reason to live is super important. And the other thing is believing you can get well. I think you, you have to believe you can get well and you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to believe in the treatments you're doing. And I think there's a, there's an internal conflict, you know, the mental, emotional, spiritual side of, of health and healing. I think there's a conflict when um, patients undergo treatments they don't believe in, you mm-hmm. know, they undergo treatments that they're afraid of for good reason. I hope this doesn't, uh, because they're brutal. <laughs> What's that? I hope this treatment doesn't kill me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, chemotherapy is brutal and uh, it's incredibly destructive. And most cancer patients agree to chemo out of reluctance. I'd say most cancer patients don't want to do chemo. They're not excited about it. They're afraid of it. They're doing it reluctantly. And many of them are suspicious or doubtful that it will cure them because they've seen it not cure other people that they know, right? There are other friends and family members who've had cancer. So, I think that really, uh, it's hard to quantify the, how much that plays a part in a person's healing journey. But what I do know is if you believe you can get well, then that will further motivate you to make decisions that promote your health and healing. Right, you have a strong will to live. You want to live, and you believe you can get well. And those are all the things that I had inherent, uh, inherently at that time in my life. And I, they're the same common threads that I see across all of the wonderful holistic cancer survivor stories. People that I've interviewed who've healed all types and stages of cancer. We, we all have the same things in common. We we were willing to. I call it the beat cancer mindset. It's taking massive action, being willing to do whatever it takes to get well, taking full responsibility for your health um, and enjoying your life and the process, right? Those are the, those are the sort of like, it's the secret sauce. Those are the ingredients to the recipe of, uh, you know, against the odds, cancer survival, I guess you could say. Sounds, I mean, you know, it's very, 
very true and uh, you know very motivating and very encouraging i think for anybody that 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 hears that you know, we talked about, you know, you talked about diet and one of the things that always comes, we, you know, everybody knows sugar is bad, but fruit tends to get a bad name with the sugar. And there are some studies out there um, looking at, you know, is, you know, cancers, we, we do a PET scan on someone, for instance, we give them sugar and the sugar goes where the cancer is because the cancer is very metabolically active. And there is a abnormality in the pathway in the cell that makes it's not an efficient cancer cells aren't an efficient use of sugar but they use a lot and they're turning over so they're using a lot and we confuse that i believe with oh my god that's driving the cancer by giving the cancer sugar but when we talk about fruit and again you talked about the variety and we you know we haven't even touched on the variety and how it leads to better uh, microbe diversity but fruit in itself comes with so many things your um, your philosophy on fruit and how you go about that. Fruit's like a Trojan horse. You know, it, it it's it's sneaky because it's sweet, right? And it tastes good. Uh, but fruit is, del- yes, it's delivering sugar, which every cell in your body runs on sugar. It's, it's the human body's preferred fuel source is sugar. Uh, ketones and fat is the emergency fuel source. It's not the preferred source. Um, but when you eat sugar and carbohydrate rich vegetables, whole foods, not processed sugar, but you're delivering all of these wonderful antioxidants, anti-inflammatory compounds and direct anti-cancer compounds and immune boosting compounds. So, so there was a study uh, where they, they gave uh, blueberry powder to humans for six weeks. And it was the equivalent of, uh, two and a half cups of blueberries per day. So just dehydrated into a powder. And after six weeks, they had increased natural killer cell function. Those are the cancer killing cells in your body, immune cells. And uh, also had lower blood pressure, better arterial health from blueberries. So uh, yeah, fruit is wonderful. Apples, this is kind of, this is such a fun fact that I think a lot of people haven't heard. You know, probiotics are all the rage, right? It's it's a big trend, right? Probiotic supplements, they're probably selling a billion dollars a year in probiotic supplements. And, uh, but raw fruits and vegetables are the best source of probiotics. They're the best source of good bacteria for your gut. And, and one apple contains roughly 100 million bacteria. But here's the kicker. 90% of that bacteria is in the core and the seeds. Hmm. Than the part that everybody throws out. And so uh, in this, the same researchers that uh, discovered this also uh, compared organic and conventional apples. And they found that organic apples had a much more diverse uh, microbiome. So they had more diverse populations of bacteria than conventional. So, you know, you want, you don't have to take a probiotic supplement, just eat apples, eat the whole apple, right? Eat more raw fruits and vegetables. You don't have to be all raw, but when you're eating fresh fruit and raw vegetables, you're getting live bacteria, which in most cases is good bacteria. Uh, uh, Occasionally, yes, there can be contamination, salmonella or something, but um, most cases is really wonderful, beneficial bacteria. And number two is you're getting live enzymes. Uh, And so cooking destroys enzymes and bacteria and, and they're very beneficial things to your body that you only get from raw produce. So um, fruit's great. And here's the thing, you know, you, you are a cardiologist. Uh, 
how many times have you had a patient come to you with heart disease and you said, uh, tell me about your diet. And they said, well, I, I pretty much only eat fruit. <laughs> never. It's never happened. Never happened. No. Well, guess what? That's never happened to the diabetes doctor. It's never happened to the oncologist. Like the fruit's not the problem, no. right? If all we ate was fruit, but we I would have dramatically lower rates of all these chronic diseases. Fruit is almost always blamed in my office for the weight gain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm eating no, too much. I, you know, it's the grapes. I think I ate too many grapes. And it's like, no, it ain't, it's not the grapes. Let's go. <laughs> I said, no, if you ate grapes, I said, and I've actually, I've actually done the challenge with people that are in diabetics. And I'd say, okay, I want you to just do me a favor. Let's just have you eat grapes tomorrow. Just eat grapes. Let's see what your glucose does. Let's see what your weight does the day after. Just a day of eating grapes. You know, just eat the grapes all day long and see how it is. Nobody, nobody's taken me up on it yet. You know, uh, nobody's uh, taken you up. Nobody's taken me up on it yet. You know, because they know that they're just blaming the grapes. It was, you know, it's like when you get sick and the last thing you eat, you blame. You know, it's like, you know, if I hadn't, you know, chopped off that Snickers with a grape, I'd be just fine. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, yeah. It's I love that you're t you're challenging your patients. That it makes me sad that no one will, they, none of them will do it. Um, but yeah, it's you know it, it it's just it's sad and it's unfortunate that fruit has been demonized uh, in 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 with processed sugar, right? Processed and refined sugar terrible, uh, but fruit is not in that category. And when you eat fruit, your body uh, the fiber in fruit regulates the absorption of sugar in fruit. So it is actually absorbed in a healthy way. It doesn't uh, hit your bloodstream in the same way that white sugar and white flour uh, products do. It's perfectly designed to serve you. Uh, are you familiar with the book, The Grape Cure? I am not. Okay. Well, you might, like, you'd enjoy it. It's, sounds like something from Napa Valley, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a terrific book. Okay. Uh, it's jo Joanna Brandt. Okay. wrote it. She's, she's passed away now, but the grape cure, it's a quick read, but it's uh it's about her experience helping people heal cancer with basically a diet that was exclusively grapes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to get the book and, uh, cause, yeah, I, cause she's I, got some very, very wonderful, insightful, uh, it, like she understood, she really understood the cancer condition, the mindset and the mentality because she worked with so many patients and it's a very insightful book. And, uh, it's pretty cool. But fruit's yeah. great. Like, don't be afraid of fruit. You're not getting cancer from eating too much fruit. You're not getting heart disease from too much fruit. It's just, oh. that's not the cause. I've, uh, I've actually adopted the kind of the Jesse Itzler type of, I don't know if you know him. He's, he's written some books, uh, living with a monk, um, living with a seal, but he eats fruit basically till lunchtime. And, um, I, you know, I, I started enjoying that. And I, I had this, I always tell people, nobody had a worse sweet tooth than I did before I went vegan. I mean, nobody chocolate cake would be my go-to breakfast, you know, over, you know, any day of the week, you know, <laughs> that last meal would be, I, I mean, sweets, you know, don't even talk to me about, um, fruit flavored ice cream. That's way too, that's way too conservative. You know, there's got to be chocolate ice cream. That's, that's it, you know, but now fruit is fine. Fruit does it for me. As long as I'm eating all the fruit for breakfast and I have fruit after lunch and I have fruit in the, in the evening, it's like, I don't look to other, you know, simple sugars. Uh, it perfectly cured me. And if that can cure this sweet tooth, you know, it's like, I'll challenge anybody because uh, like I said, um, 
you know, back in the day, you know, if there wasn't brown sugar on oatmeal, there's just no way anybody could possibly think about eating that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, no, yeah. I'll take a cup of blueberries over that any day, you know, but, uh, fruit so satisfies the sugar yeah. cravings. I mean, it's wonderfully, it's, it's delicious and it should be enjoyed. I, I love that. I backed into your book, um, um, and I and I obviously uh, you know heard your story, but the the book and became intrigued uh, a lot over vitamin C because with this uh, fear causing infectious disease that we have going around, uh, you know one thought is you know vitamin C because of the antioxidants have been and used over the years to treat viruses such as even polio and you know other these and I was uh, astonished when I started reading while I had COVID all the things that nobody ever mentioned in medical school with regard to vitamin C. The only thing that vitamin C was mentioned is with, with scurvy. And, you know, you'll never see that, you know, get your, you know, 93 grams of, or milligrams of, uh, of vitamin C a day, get your one orange and you'll be good to go, you know, or your one tomato and you're, you're good to go. But the reality of it is, especially as we age, well, if one, if we want to use it to fight as a medicinal thing, we obviously need much more power than we can get in um, a lot of times. And then as we age, it's kind of my thought that, you know, our, we're, we're giving our bodies nutrients, but we're, we're having to do a lot more repair work as we get older. Um, I talk about the garage in, in my practice. You know, as you get, when you're born, you have a nice clean white garage and it's nice and empty and everything looks great. And then we start putting things on the shelf. And before long, you know, you can't, uh, you can't get only one car in and then you can't get the car in. And then things are starting to fall out the door and you can't really get the garage door down. And by that time, a little bit of change isn't gonna do you much good. Um, the same way is if we're using vitamin C and an orange to reverse some big bad, you know, when things have already got awry, we need a lot more than possibly we can consume. More firepower. Yes. In vi vitamin C is such a, an interesting, I mean, a fascinating molecule. You know, humans can't make it, but in the animal kingdom, when they've done studies on animals, when animals get sick in, with an infection, uh, they produce more vitamin C. Their body ramps up the production of vitamin C uh, to extremely high levels, not just like, oh, an orange is worth, right? Extremely high levels. And, um, and so there've been a number of human studies on vitamin C and, and viral infections and all kinds of things, cancer and, and um, high dose vitamin C is such an incredible protocol. And I keep vitamin C powder in the house and uh, every, I've lost count of the number of times when I started to feel run down and we all know that feeling, the like, oh man, my throat's scratchy, I'm on low energy, a little bit of cough happening, you know, sneezing, whatever, like I feel like I'm starting to get sick and I will hammer the vitamin C. Usually I'll take about four grams to eight grams uh, every three or four hours, and it just knocks it out. It just, I, I have lost count of how many times I almost got sick and then hammered the vitamin C and it never mater materialized. Um, and, and it's such an inexpensive and cheap thing to, to, to take, but there's no money in vitamin C. There never will be. It's not, you know, there's no incentive to, to teach doctors about vitamin C. And all everything I've learned about vitamin C, by the way, that's of value, I actually learned from medical doctors. <laughs> Thomas Cathcart, Thomas Levy, Ron Hunting Hockey, like medical doctors taught me about vitamin C. 
then of course, Linus Pauling, who I don't know if he was an MD, he might've been a PhD, but um, Ewan Cameron was a medical doctor. So like just in, these incredible physicians that incorporated it into their practice uh, and were still ignored by the medical community. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. I, I've changed uh, my view. Matter of fact, um, this bottle is sufficiency in water. <laughs> yeah, I love sufficiency. Yes, yeah, and, uh, for sure. It's a uh, you know, it's a good way to get you know the fluids down. And I just kind of you know sip on it throughout the day. And I, I have become a believer with my little uh, virus that I that I had, the little COVID virus. It you know, I think it really knocked it out. I'm back to you know, I'm, I was training for an ultra marathon. I got run down, ignored it. And, um, you know, back on track to run the ultra marathon in a couple of weeks. So that's great. And, and that kind of training, you probably know, is tends to be immunosuppressant, right? Uh, yep. It's it's hard on the on your body and your immune system. And so you need more firepower uh, when you're when you're training at that level, because um, there and this this plays in the cancer conversation, too, because chemotherapy, it depletes vitamin C in the body. It depletes antioxidants in, in the body because it's so oxidative, right? Chemotherapy drugs are oxidative drugs. They cause oxidative cellular damage. That's the point. They're trying to kill cancer by oxidating it. And um, some drugs are different, but for the most part, that's how they work. So uh, your body, when, when you're consuming high levels of oxidants, then your body has to respond with antioxidants. It's going to, because it's like the oxidative stress is like a fire and your body is trying to put out the fire. It's trying to cool off this inflammation and it does that with antioxidants. So that'd be glutathione, um, superoxide dismutase, and of course, vitamin C, but you have very low vitamin C reserves. And so what happens is that vitamin C gets depleted very fast when you're going through chemo. And a lot of cancer patients uh, after multiple rounds of chemo, they have scurvy. They've got it. Wow. I mean, they're, they have all the symptoms of scurvy, right? Clinically, every clinical scurvy symptom, they've got them. And uh, that's why vitamin C is so helpful uh, for chemotherapy too, is to, to keep the patients out of this uh, scurvy um, state that, it, that, they, that they're in. And plus they've done studies on uh, IV vitamin C uh, helping chemo work better. University of Kansas did some studies to that effect. Well, Chris, I mean, it has been very enlightening, uh, just a, a pleasure to speak with you. Um, you're motivating, uh, encouraging, uh, a very positive message, and I, I really do appreciate you taking time to speak with me. Um, we do a conference every year. Uh, it's uh, going to be moved again because of COVID this year, but hopefully we might even get you down for that uh, if you can stand a little time in Florida, um, but it, it'd be great. What part of Florida? Um, south Florida, about an hour south of Tampa and Port Charlotte. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to come down. That'd be that'd be fantastic. We can get the world opened up again and get some, you know, people allowed to come to conferences again. <laughs> that would be really fun. See people, but I do appreciate your time and thanks again for for making time to speak with me. Appreciate it. Well, Dr. Delaney, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I, I'm just so thrilled that. To, to connect with another medical doctor who's on the, on the holistic health train on the team, you know, uh, plant-based nutrition and, and actually helping patients heal as opposed to just medicate for the rest of their lives. I mean, you're, you're doing God's work. You're on the front lines. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. I'll leave links to the books that he referenced as well as Chris's books. Um, again, you know, we're hoping we get him down here for a conference uh, next January when we have our in-person live conference. For now, if you have any questions, again, go over to Jamie, uh, email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. Our website is drdelaney.com. You can find out how you can sign up for our membership programs. We have a dietary consult once a month or myself and a dietary consult once a month or full membership. So you can check those out. If you have any questions, again, email me or call the office and we can get you set up. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to hear some funny outtakes, uh, keep listening after the music. I thought she had her uh, I thought she had her bone and obviously it wasn't so it should be interesting I'm almost like I said afraid to go out and see what her attaches to (laughs) my brother-in-law is in the office furniture business he could probably identify that part just by looking at it (laughs) okay I'll talk to you you too thank you all right bye-bye bye-bye